Yeah, music. Come on, music, maestro. Which one? Dramatic piano? Yeah, definitely. Dramatic piano. We also have drums. Oh, dr well, nah, that's too short. That's too though. quick. Yeah. yeah. We can have that at the end, maybe. Yeah. Well, this is good. This is good. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Jesus. Hey. Stop. Stop. I'm from Belgium. <laughs> and my name is Ray. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey. I'm from San Francisco, and I'm Jay. Okay. <laughs> oh, fuck it. Peer pressure. <laughs> this is Vijay from uh, <laughs> the Netherlands. Cocksucker. Hello. <laughs> what a party pooper. Yeah. yeah we got I the know, cocksucker motherfucker in there straight away because, you know. Yes. Oof, yeah. I think we, we have got to start off hard we, with this one. We have gone. Uh, We've gone soft for a couple of episodes, I think. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I just okay. put it in there because I know your mother's going to listen to this, Jay. So, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's no problem. You, you I mean, shouldn't have said that before. <laughs> she's a grown woman. She's yeah, heard exactly. worse. And, and she can form proper opinions about Vijay and Ray. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we're, we're putting all out there. We're definitely putting all out there. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay, so welcome to Defen episode number 57 and this is the one I think the first ever rhyming episode. Yes. Because I'm VJ and I'm and Ray. We and I'm Jay. Yeah. And so VJ okay. Ray J, J Ray VJ episode. Let's get started. Uh, I think we already started. Uh, yeah. First of all, I think uh, with the shitty music and our uh, rap. <laughs> is, is that rap? I don't, I know don't what, count what that as a rap, to be honest, you know. Um, it's rapping your ears, yeah. in a way. Maybe it's more sea rap, you know. Yeah, it's it's crap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is a new, <laughs> you know, new genre of sounds. It's like grime, but it's shit, you know. <laughs> Okay. Look, every band when they get started, they have some rough songs. We just yeah. need to iterate it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's true. Yeah. I mean, there was some spirit there. You know, I think there was something there. Yeah. VJ, I, I think you could, you know, you could put a little more into it. <laughs> I'm out of the band now already. Yeah. Let's have another go at this. Come on. <laughs> You're gonna have a talk let's with Let's have me. another go. Before we before we make a start with the closure stuff, let's have another go at that song. Come on. And this time mean it, VJ. Okay, come on. Ah, oh, God. Come on. Okay, fine. So, uh, again, the same, the same music? music? Yeah, let's do it. We're g okay. get we're get, we're we get, don't uh, get paid by the minute we'll anyway. We'll get Jay so. to start it this time <laughs> from the West Coast. Oh, okay. I was going to I was gonna throw VJ. Okay, no, well, okay, we'll, go, we'll go, we'll go. Because he's the one on That's probation. True, yeah. we'll, go, we'll, go, we'll go east <laughs> to west, okay? We'll go east to west. VJ, you're starting this time. Dude, if it is east to west, you're, you should be no, starting you're further because you're east. easter to me. I live yeah, in the Netherlands. Yeah, that's further east than Belgium. Yes. Is it? Okay. <laughs> oh, fuck it. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Hey. This is Vijay. My name is Ray. 
Jet. <laughs> the music. The music stopped. Okay. Well, uh, well, VJ, I think that I was think a much so. better episode. Yeah. So maybe we could splice the two of those <laughs> together and, and come up with uh, something something that's useful. I mean, that's going to be a horrible merge commit. That is, you know. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's that's the merge of nightmares. You know, it really is. It's a three-way merge of horror. VJ, say something. Are you still alive after that? No. <laughs> uh, I think I took a lot out of them. Did it work? It worked. I, I don't know if it worked. Huh. The music seemed to stop, you know. Oh, yeah. okay. I don't know. Maybe this is probably like a small bit or something. Yeah, there was something something weird on the DJ front there. But, you know, I thought, Jesus. You, I okay. thought you were just cutting us off, you know. No. I think something happened with Zencastro. I think it couldn't tolerate our awesomeness. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Because really? I, I thought we were we were approaching Zen there. You know, it was uh... Uh, yeah. Okay, especially J so, at the end. I mean, it was very you know, J. It, oh. it was good. Yeah, that was that was there was nice. something spiritual there. Yeah. Ah. Thanks, Ray. Oh, well, Thank yeah. you. So, um, I think. Uh, that's all we have for this episode, I think. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. It's an absolute pleasure. I mean, you know, we've achieved By enlightenment. Way, what more can go we closure. ask for, really? Yeah. I like how, how you're trying to put some sanity into this, Jay. We're like, oh, go closure. Oh, okay, come on. We'll talk about closure later. I hope that when I achieve, I hope that when I achieve enlightenment, uh, oh, yeah. like my hair grows back. And uh, it's like yeah, witches. right, right. Um, because, because, like, how can you have enlightenment without without hair? That's true. Like that? That's true. That's, I think that when you look at these Buddhist monks, they're probably doing the same thing. Like, they're making their wishes on rishis. yeah, so they can have the real uh, hair like that. Just so. that's true. Right. And, and I think they're starting with a clean yeah. slate, um, both like physically and and like yeah. metaphysically. No, I mean that's the that's the Zen story, right? I mean you can't fill the cup when it is full, so you need to empty your cup before you go to the Zen master. Yeah. So it makes sense. So you need to shave your head first and then grow back into Rishiki's. Yeah, uh, you have to and... give up all your possessions. That includes your hair, right? Yeah, yeah. and also your uh, old programming languages and ways of doing absolutely. things. Absolutely, yeah. So excellent yes. transition. <laughs> so let's get started. So what did you give up, Jay, in programming? languages to come to closure and why uh sure yeah so i started with uh i started with just basic um and i have no idea why just basic was a free version of liberty basic um i don't know i don't know why i used it but it was it was a good way to get started i was writing like text-based games and then that went into like dark basic because i wanted to do uh the, like 3d games i was just big into yeah. games and then from there, I mean, that was like six months in or something. I, I was like, well, I was online. I was like, what do people write when they're really serious mm -hmm. about games? You know, like they want to make like the best games. And the answer to that was C++. And I was like, okay. So I jumped right in uh, to C++. And uh, for the next several years, basically just did a lot of C++. Uh, and 
was was all about it. And the the thing is, C plus plus is a massive oh, yeah. language. People don't realize, I think, just how big C plus plus is. I think you have a lot of people who who call themselves C plus plus programmers because they can write. I mean, and in in some sense they are, but they can write C plus plus and it compiles and it runs and it does what they want. But there are, I mean, they're probably using a tiny like fraction of the whole language. Uh, and I've spent several years uh, using C++, but there are still entire parts of the static library that I've just never really uh, even thoroughly used. Uh, so, so anyway. So it's pretty much similar to uh, Rich Hickey's journey, right? Because he was also a super, uh, C++ programmer and he wrote a couple of papers in C++ and libraries and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, he, uh, but I am, I mean, I'm not, I'm not drawing that comparison. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We will make the comparisons uh, here. But this is our show. Yeah. <laughs> were, were you, were you, were you uh, enamored with the standard template libraries, Jay? Right. So actually, it's not the standard template library. It's the standard library, which is the standard library was based on the standard template library. So people call it the STL, but it's the, it's the standard lib. STL was something that came prior and then the standard lib was built based on uh, the stl which is also not to be confused with stl who's a person uh who actually works on i think microsoft's version of the standard library it's like this <laughs> have we got strange on the cast here what's going on <laughs> uh anyway <laughs> welcome to c plus plus podcast episode uh, one. yeah so <laughs> it's level set yeah 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 yes 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 they did um and Anyway, I was really big into it, and I, yeah, like I think most of my GitHub repos would probably be in C++ or around C++, and uh, I, mean, I mean, I think including most of my popular, like my more popular um, and successful projects have all been around C++, uh, and I was, I was really interested in trying to squeeze, uh, I am arriving somewhere with closure here, I was really interested in trying to squeeze as much as I could out of the out of C++. Just before and we go on, like, Andrew, just just interrupt you for one second. It's like, was this all kind of in service of some hobby or was this was this when you started work or, you know, what was the context oh, sure, of sure. this uh, learning, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, when I started learning C++, I was in, I was still in high school. Right. Uh, and then... Like I, I had, I was really fortunate to be, um, I grew up in like a really, really small town. There were 50 people in my entire, uh, graduating class. Uh, and I, I was fortunate to be like shipped off to another school, like on a bus, uh, like three days a week because it was a bigger school and they actually had an information systems technology class. Right. And I would go there and most of the people there would like look up erection on Wikipedia and snicker like all day long. <laughs> and I was, I told my teacher, like, I want to, I want to learn C++. I want to write games. I want to learn OpenGL. Uh, and she was like, okay, like do it. Uh, we will forego the whole typical curriculum of, uh, of what I typically put people through. If you show me that you're, if you're progressing and you're getting better. Mm. And, uh, and that was amazing. And that was like uh, a really nurturing environment for me to just, learn everything fuck up in so many ways uh i realized that that when i look back now the code that i was writing then this is really cool the code that i was writing then because i didn't really understand the even though i was writing c plus plus and technically i didn't really understand like the control flow 
of functions and like yep. unwinding the stack. Right. And so what I would do is I would get into some functions and when I was ready to come back, I'd mm. call main again. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and so I would I would re-enter main. And then obviously if, if you re-enter main, you don't want to enter a loop. So I would keep some global state <laughs> uh, that I would mutate so that yeah. when I re-enter main, it puts me into a different wow. path. You were writing a virtual machine. And then some, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then every now and then the stack would blow. Yeah. And uh, and then you restart. Uh, and and such is the engine of reality. So uh, that was that was really great. And then I went to I went to school specifically to study game development, and that was that was all in C plus plus. Um, so when I was there, a, was there a school that did that? Oh yeah, there there are a few. So this one I went to is uh, it's called Full Sail University. It's in Central Florida, and um, it's if you're if you're dedicated. I think it's a great school. Hmm. Um, I didn't actually finish uh, because I was I was doing open source work uh, all the while, and I was offered a job hmm. before I had finished, and was like, "Fuck it, I, I don't want to finish school." Um, and I probably didn't have the money to finish school anyway um, because hmm. it's oh, yeah. full sale is not cheap in America. And yeah, in, in America, exactly. So I took the job offer, which was like a terrible salary, but was amazing for me. Um, but full sale was really cool because they try to they try to make it as like real life as possible uh, in the game industry, and so you'll be in the middle of like a game project, and then they'll spin a wheel of misfortune. <laughs> they call it, um, which is like, oh, you need to. The product manager has decided that you need to add localization to your game, or uh, you need to write a development blog, or or something like that. Um, and then the other thing was the school, it's open like 24 seven, oh. literally. And, and you have mm -hmm. classes, uh, like eight hours a day. Um, you'll have like a four hour lecture, four hour lab. Uh, but there, there are all sorts of hours. So you have like a 3 AM class, uh, and, and their idea is that you just go nonstop like this, like 24 seven for two years straight, like with no mm -hmm. summer break, basically. And you get a four-year degree. Why don't you get anything um, like this when, when you type Florida man goes to school or something? Like, you know, whenever you type Florida man in Google, you know, <laughs> there is nothing that shows up like this. Like people going to school at 3 a.m. It's all it's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's know. all alligators and yeah. yeah. It was it was good. Yeah, and I um a buddy of mine uh told me about it and he was like, Yeah, I, I want to go here. That's I'm certain about this. Mm. And I just sort of like hitched on to his dream. Nice. And uh and uh, then, then that that ended up working out. But anyway, so yeah, I got. What were they the teaching job. you there, Jay? By the way, was it was it like uh, uh -huh. was it like physics engines or was it yeah. like gameplay or design yeah. or what? You know, everything. Yeah, all of the above, man. So yeah. you start off with um, we actually like the first class. You don't actually start off with C plus plus. You start off with uh, Lua. Which used to be Scheme, right, okay. yeah. Uh, but those those fuckers were they they didn't want the parents. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but they went they went to Lua, uh, and anyway, so you start off with Lua to just sort of get get your get your feet wet with some programming, and then they jump you into C plus uh, plus like right right away, um, and then you stay you stay in C plus plus for the entire thing. But you start off with like writing some text based games. Uh, you know, enter a random number between one and ten. Did you guess the right number, sort of mm -hmm. thing? And then you move into uh, you move into graphics programming, 
Um, and then they handle, you have classes on multi-threading, you have classes specifically on uh, DirectX, uh, you have classes on uh, how to use like certain game engines and also like the 3D content pipeline for what you'll actually expect to have if you go into a game studio that's using Unreal Engine or Unity. Right. So that way you can understand, well, how do the artists make 3D models? What are vertices? How are triangles, you know, how are, how are uh, triangles formed? And how are models built from triangles? Mm -hmm. uh, like how are they unwrapped uh, um, and how do UVs map to them to texture things? Yeah. How do normals work? Everything like that. So like you get to understand that side of things so that uh, when you're working with the artists, uh, you can you can be useful mm. and you can understand um, what they're doing. Yeah. Did you get some hardware kind of uh, stuff as well, like all the graphics cards and you know those kind of things, so that you could uh, be optimizing for that kind of stuff? Sure. Uh, not really. I think it was mainly it was mainly software oriented. Everyone. Like everyone had a a Windows laptop. I was like the only one in my class uh, that had a Linux laptop uh, that was dual booting Windows <laughs> and using Git. Uh, and uh, so, like everyone is just sort of learning to program on their on their Windows GPU. And um, there, I there wasn't really anything that went super low level. Um, so it was mainly it was mainly that, and then just. Uh, learning to work together in teams to right, actually right. ship yeah. a game yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and having to deal with the issues of like being assigned with random teammates and you know one of you has to make the um, the animation system they have to make it from scratch like 3d skeletal animation system the other one needs to make the um, like the sprite based uh, um, animation oh God, I can't think of it like emission exactly what what is the I can't, okay, anyway, one of you has to do that, and then the other one has to build some sort of UI system that scales properly Ooh. or whatever. Um, so it was, it was a whole lot of that, just sort of rinse and repeat, make it more and more complicated. Um, and you know, now you add networking, then you add threading, um, et cetera, uh, to finally get to your final project, okay. uh, which I didn't get to, but um, so it was a whole lot of that. Uh, and it, all the while I was doing open source uh, game engine development for the most part. Right. I was really interested in sort of low level, uh, make a game engine, optimize every single aspect of it, um, try to parallelize as much of it as possible. Um, and I was doing that and it was all on GitHub and uh, some some recruiter found me and was like, hey, let's, how about you come over to San Francisco and uh, and and work, work for us in this game company. Mm. And I actually had a buddy a buddy of mine uh, that I used to hang out with, uh, who was also at Full Sail, he went and interviewed at the same place, and he came back, and he didn't get the job, but he told me everything about their interview process. <laughs> and he he said, "Okay, so their their coding test is uh, Conway's Game of Life. Okay, you need to be able to write that." And I'm like, "What what what is this? Yeah. I don't know what Conway's Game of Life is, right?" And then I look it up, and obviously. Um, I mean, everyone has to know what that is. So if you don't know what it is and you're listening to this, go go figure it out. Uh, but uh, I wrote Conway's Game of Life over and over and over and over again. Uh, and I did console versions. I did graphical versions of it. <laughs> and then I went I went to my interview and and I was like, all right, so what, what am I going to be coding today? 
and they're like, well, have you ever heard of Conway's Game of Life? And I was like, no, never. (laughs) I I was like, well, I said, I have heard of it. Uh, And they're like, okay, so we're going to have you program that. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And so, and so I did it and, and I got the job. You're uh, just glided through. Yeah. I, oh, (laughs) very, very well done. Very well done. Uh, I did. And, and I got the job. I lucked out actually. I think that the, the head of engineering was from Maine as well, which is where I was. Right, right. Um, and there are only like five or so people left in Maine, like the rest of them have gone somewhere else. Uh, but I happened to like uh, have one there who's the head of engineering. And so he's like, oh, you're, I, I heard you're from Maine. And he's like this brilliant, brilliant guy uh, who's asking me terrible questions like, or like like terribly difficult questions that I, I, I know for a fact I didn't get yeah. right. Um, but I think because I had that in, um, I got the job. So it's like, I had that in and then I knew the coding test. Yeah. And because those two things lined up, I ended up getting a job. And then from there, no degree, getting paid shit, but, uh, and I had absolutely no money. Uh, like when I came out, um, I know we haven't arrived at closure yet, but this is, this is no, fine. We don't need to. Uh, it's when, okay. We've got time. <laughs> exactly. When, when I, when I came out, I had, no, I had no money and they, uh, this company that I was, that I was hired at Tineco, they put me up with someone else who was also just hired. Mm. And, um, we, we ended up, uh, you know, being roommates together and, uh, his dad basically like gave me a loan mm. to get, to get some, to get some like furniture and stuff. Um, and to, to be able to like pay rent, I couldn't pay anything. Um, I had no, I had no lights in my room. I had no bed. <laughs> I had the uh, the pillow and the blanket that I took from the airplane from my, oh my flight God. over from Maine, and and that I I slept with that for like two weeks until until I got like my first paycheck, uh, and and then at that point I got a mattress, and then I for the longest time I still didn't have lights in my room, but eventually like paid everyone back. And started, you know, started saving some money, and then uh, it was it was a rough start. That's just just uh, game of life. It's a real Dick Whittington story, you know. Yeah, it was uh, money was a bit was was also like in full sales. I was running super low on cash, uh, so like the the whole job offer thing was so nicely timed. I had a buddy of mine from IRC. I was hanging out on. Um, I still hang out on Freenode um, several several years or a decade later. Um, but like one buddy of mine, I was getting to know sort of knew the state that I was in and would buy me like pizza, would order me pizza and ship it to my, uh, to the house that I was staying at because he knew I just didn't have the money to, uh, to buy much. Yeah, that's food. nice. That is very yeah. generous. Yeah. So yeah, I was, it was through everyone else's generosity that I was able to finally make it to San Francisco and, uh, prove myself as a, as a developer. Perfect. I don't know. Um, what, that's really nice. But anyway, I think we have peaked. I don't know where to go from here. Okay, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> so, well, you know, we still we still have closure to get to. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I think the the good thing is that it isn't a kind of midnight cowboy story, you know, because that would have been really bad. <laughs> I I don't even think I want to ask. <laughs> oh, midnight cowboy! It's a Dustin Hoffman, John Voight film from the sort of seventies, where uh, okay. yeah, small town guy goes to the big city and. It doesn't end well. Oh, okay. Ooh. Well, he's here on the okay, podcast. Yeah, no, this, 
<laughs> right. This, 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 this worked out. All right. Uh, so, so I, uh, I stayed at, at uh, Tiny for a while and I was, I was getting really into, uh, C++ specifically template metaprogramming. Mm. And the reason was that I wanted to try to squeeze as much out of the compiler as I could. And the thing about template metaprogramming is I think if you put a hundred C++ devs that you just take randomly in a room, uh, you, you take them randomly from, I would say probably not even the game development uh, industry, but probably just any industry using C++. Mm -hmm. Take a hundred of them, you put them in a room. I would think that maybe like five or fewer are going to be comfortable writing um, template metaprograms mm. uh, or, or talking about type traits or uh, SFINA, which is substitution failure is not an error. Mm. Um, and like the patterns that yeah, these terrible acronyms uh, that comes uh, out of C++, <laughs> like RAII. Um, but uh, I was getting really into that. And I was like, that was my job security as well. Because I was writing C++ that nobody else in the company like <laughs> <Couldn't> um, <figure. laughs> felt felt comfortable with, and there's yeah. like, oh, there's an issue with this thing. Okay, we'll need to have Jay look into it. Uh, he's doing this other thing right now. Uh, let's add it to his queue. And okay. and honestly, that was great because that's like, you know, established myself uh, there. But um, I hit a point where I was trying to get more type safety. I was trying to get more, just sort of safety in general mm. like the reason i was doing these uh, template metaprogrammings was uh, i wanted i wanted the apis that i was making to be as type rich as possible mm. so that um so that hopefully we fuck up less because we had hundreds of thousands of lines of c++ code in just the the game engine alone tanico had their own game engine uh, that they built in-house and then the, you had like a hundred thousand lines of code for the games each that were built on top of that. It's a lot of code and a lot of things would go wrong. And so I was trying to do that uh, to, to squeeze as much out of C++ as I could. And I was, I was like, I was moving towards something and, and the C++ compiler was fighting me. And I didn't know what I was moving toward, but I knew ultimately that C++ wasn't going to offer it mm. like to me. And that I, I had basically squeezed the last drips out of it um, that I could, and I had to look somewhere else. And so I started looking into Rust, which was super new at the time. Mm -hmm. And I did some, I made like a, a game engine in, in Rust uh, that it took uh, like Quake Live maps and Quake 3 maps, yep. and then using uh, separating axis theorem, it voxelized them. Mm -hmm. um, and then the idea was to have like a Quake 3 like game with voxelized destruct destructible maps. Um, and so I was doing all that in Rust. It was way too early in Rust because not only was the language changing so much, like literally every week, um, but the libraries were too as a result. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, okay, this one, this one windowing library um, completely changed its its API mm -hmm. uh, three times since since I was working on this engine. And it's the same thing for the the OpenGL library, and it's the same thing for for this and that. Uh, so ultimately, it just really wore me down, but. Um, I think it was a good taste of of something that offered more than C in terms of um, in terms of data management, yeah. in terms of like uh, expression. Uh, so you like Rust has pattern matching yeah. um, that that C just doesn't compete with, and um, I think better better approaches to um, better approaches to concurrency, mm -hmm. both parallel and otherwise. 
VJ, I know you said um, that you've been uh, looking into Rust as well. So you, uh, I know know uh, what I'm talking about with a lot of this. Uh, so I was looking into that, and but it still it still wasn't a far enough departure from what I wanted. Mm. But I didn't know what I wanted, and and so I I just sort of started researching some more, and I found out that what I wanted was functional programming. I, right. And so it was like, boom, that was added to my vocabulary. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, uh, and then all of a sudden I realized I don't know shit <laughs> and there's so much more for me to, to take in. And I was, I was like, all right, so I, I got to pick up a, a functional language. And we had one loony, uh, in, in tiny co who's uh, really, you know, really smart guy. I say loony affectionately. Uh, we had one loony who was all about Haskell. Uh, and he was just constantly going on about how everything we're writing in C++ was crap and it, it needed to be Haskell. <laughs> and I didn't understand really. I was just like, okay, he's, yeah, he's a loony. And then he eventually just, he couldn't take it anymore. And then he left. And I think, I, I hope for his sake, he's writing Haskell these days. Um, or but, telling other people that yeah. own Haskell well, is maybe, 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 maybe he's Idris, you know, <laughs> probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe he's, or maybe he's for, forgotten the types and he's, he's enjoying closure. Totally. <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, so, so there was that guy and I was like, okay, so I know, I know Haskell and I know one loony who's into that. And I looked into that and I was just like, I can't do this. Mm. Like, I'm not good. I'm not smart enough. I'm just not good enough. I don't know. This thing's beyond me. Um, and, and I was like, if this is what functional programming is, it's not for me. Mm. Mm. Um, because I need to be able to just, I just need to be able to write some fucking code man, yeah. and make it work. And like, I was still writing game engines. Uh, I like writing operating system kernels. I like writing kind of low level things, but I want to be able to do it in a way that, that uh, is as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, so I came across closure and I was like, okay, all right. So this is functional, but I can just sort of write imperative code too. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel because it's not declared or at least mm. like it doesn't have to be declared, yeah, yeah. right? You can just sort of get in and say def and main print line yeah. mm. and, and that becomes really easy. And then it's like, okay, now, now I can just start doing some mutation if I want. Mm. Um, and, and did you re-enter main as well? No, I did not. By then I had, I had okay. broken that habit. Um, but, but thanks for checking. That's a shame actually. Cause you know, I think it would have been nice, would have been fun to do, you know? Right. Not with closures, uh, not with closure stack issues. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, you know, you would have been, you would have got the, the, the worst, especially when spec came out, you know, one nine, you would have got like the, your, your, your error messages would have been like the, the talk of the town. Yeah. 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 Exactly, <laughs> but that's, a, that's uh, yeah. A, I would have needed. That's a big departure, right? Coming from C plus plus, and then thinking about types and everything, oh, yeah. and then you know, low level code, and then switching oh, yeah. to JVM and closure. So I was off. Was it a culture shock? <laughs> it was. It was. I don't know how I made it through because the thing is that I didn't know. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was just like, "This is a language. I'm going to try to write something in it," mm. uh, and. And I, I had no idea what I was doing. And so the thing is that to make it even worse, uh, what I had done was I hit that point with C++ and I was looking into these other languages 
and I didn't find anything that I really liked. And so I had decided I'm going to make my own language. Right? I, I have these, I have these ideas of what I have in my head. I have these things that I really don't like with these other languages. I'm going to make my own and I'm just going to address all my concerns. I don't care if other people don't like it. This is for me. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so that started several years ago and I originally wrote it in C++ and it was a nightmare um, <laughs> to, to, to maintain and, and everything like that. It was fast to, to come to compile the actual code. It wasn't fast to compile the compiler, yeah. but it was a pain. So as I started looking more into closure and I kind of progressed a bit, a bit beyond doing foreclosure challenges mm-hmm. um, and asking like closure golf questions in the free node uh, closure channel. Uh, it's, it's so funny. Closure is a unique pro, uh, programming language because it's the only one that I've that I've used where uh, and and throughout the time it's primarily C plus uh, plus, but I've used a lot of other like uh, languages as well, just for uh, things here and there. Uh, but it's the only one I've used where if you ask a question in in the free node channel for that language of how do I write this, how do I do this one thing. Uh, you end up with 30 minutes of everyone in the channel contributing like <laughs> different different examples of how to optimize uh, not performance, uh, but instead like laziness yeah. or expressiveness or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, and there was so much of that, but it was really helpful mm-hmm. because I would just watch like someone be like, oh, how do I do this map with an index? Mm-hmm. And then someone would be like, oh, I'll use map index. Yeah. And then someone else would be like, oh, I'll use, use like, uh, this use uh, list comprehension. Yeah. The other one's like, oh, use a reduce yeah. and do it like this. The other one's like, oh, what about transducers uh, or you know something like that? And then I'm just like, whoa, I'm taking, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'm taking all this in, and I, so I was taking all this in, but I, I just, I hadn't made anything useful with it. And so what I did was I rewrote the compiler for that language I was making uh, with Clojure, and it was absolutely terrible. Uh, I did such a bad job. <laughs> Um, but it was, but it was helpful. And I ended up rewriting that compiler again in Clojure, uh, just having learned, um, like how to keep an AST as like one big map and then how to like, uh, transform that thing in place without, Mm -hmm. without mutation. Um, because compilers can absolutely just be a pipeline of data transformations. But when you come from C++, you don't think of them Mm -hmm. like that. You think of them as as objects and hierarchies and, right. and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just didn't, I didn't have the right mindset. And um, anyway, so I, I had, um, let's see, I'd gone to Singapore for a while. I came back uh, and I was doing mostly C++ there, a lot of C Sharp actually as well. Um, and I came back and I went back to C++ programming, but I told myself at that point, I had been writing C++ professionally for, five years or so, I told myself, this is my last C++ job. Mm. Um, I'm going to take this job because I need a job right now. Uh, I need some income. Mm. My wife and I needed to come back uh, from Singapore to, to San Francisco. to San Francisco, And um, we just wanted some stability. But I said, I'm going to look for a functional programming job. And as soon as I find a good one, I'm going to leave C++, C++ behind. And uh, I'm going to move on. So for that, for the next year, I spent time uh, looking for the right job. Uh, and also, one thing that I was really into was educating people about C++. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I was the C++ guy right. that everyone sort of went to 
Um, but and, and it, even then, I, I still admit there are so many parts of C++ I didn't know. But still, uh, where I was working, I was a C++ guy. But ironically, I was the one telling everyone not to use C++. <laughs> let, let me teach you C++. Right? Okay, don't use C++. So that was, that was yeah, the conclusion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And so my... Not even for a yeah. secret, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, my parting gift to them was the last talk. I would give talks about template metaprogramming. I would give talks about... Um, I gave a, a talk about closure actually, uh, which wasn't taken that well. I think uh, I actually I actually did Conway's Game of Life mm-hmm. in, in closure and in C and I compared the two. Yeah. Um, and at one point, like one of one of the, like we I had some sort of object oriented, very imperative uh, method in C uh, and then I had uh, shown like the sort of uh, analogous version that used like a list comprehension and this was probably a mistake a juxt uh, okay. <laughs> and and some and some because that's it's a simple enough thing once you understand higher order functions yeah. and and how how it's used but when you first see it and then you have someone like explain it to you in the context of a new language mm-hmm. you're like what and then someone asked me who's a and he's a smart guy uh whom i respect he asked me like how can why, how can you debug this? Yeah. Like, how does yeah, yeah, how yeah, is this yeah, useful? Yeah. And I was like, well, on the, on the contrary, I can run this shit in the REPL, man. This is pure data. Mm. Like, like I can figure this shit out. I can I can unit test this. I can uh, lock it away entirely from the from the side effects. I can reason about mm. this. I don't need to debug it in the same way that I would need to debug this massive is uh, uh, if else if block. That I have in C++ that's doing some mutation, yeah. um, but I think it's hard to sell that argument. But it's an interesting question, though, isn't it? It's a very interesting question. You know, when 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 you're kind of in that imperative mindset, you know, because you, you know, and I think to some extent there is a little bit of that enclosure as well. But we can maybe come to that a bit later. But I always think I better. I definitely felt that way when I first started learning closure as well. You know, that. How do I get into these? How do I get into these pipelines to debug them? How do I get yeah. inside of them? And you know, the, the penny eventually drops that you never, you don't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was so that was that was tough. But my last, the last thing I gave them was this uh, a talk, including with a, a cheat sheet, which is on GitHub, um, about uh, value categories in C which is one of the most complex aspects of the of the language mm-hmm. uh, dealing with. Uh, R values and and L values and geo values and PR values and X values uh, and it's it all has to deal with the lifetimes of objects uh, in in C which is something that Rust sort of handles for you with the borrow checker mm-hmm. but it's something that you can have a lot of code in C that that will compile and will run probably uh, some of the time but is actually undefined behavior and will probably result in crashes mm-hmm. um, and so that was sort of my my last. Uh, my last gift that I that I was trying to offer to the C community that was also like a here's a helpful thing to write you C, to to help you write C better but also stop write C++, C++ man <laughs> um, but uh, yeah so the the job that I that I found was uh, I was offered um, I was offered the uh, uh, co-founder of CTO status at uh, a new startup mm. and I I had complete control yeah. over what we were going to do with the tech. And I said, we're going to write closure. Um, and so that is, uh, it's okay, let's play, which is where I work now. And we, uh, 
we've built, we've patented and built a, um, an application basically or a service that allows gamers to bet real money on their own gameplay, their own results in online uh, competitive skill-based games. Okay. Uh, so right now we're live with Rocket League. So if you want to bet real money on a, on a, a 1v1 in Rocket League, uh, we collect the results instantaneously and automatically. Uh, we handle the escrow of the funds. We handle like the KYC AML element, everything like that, um, so that players can trust that they're going to get their money. Uh, and you just go on there, you find an opponent, uh, you play your game, you collect your winnings. And we've done all of this in closure. And what is the stack, by um, the way? So, yeah. So uh, on the back end, um, closure, like your typical uh, closure server, closure ring. Um, and I think, are we using anything else that's that's very nice? Uh, we built a... We built our own in-house um, system for managing backend effects, mm -hmm. which is actually influenced by reframe. Okay. Um, and and so you define effects in the same way that you define events in reframe. Oh, so you brought the front-end way of doing things into the into the backend. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and it's really neat. And then it's the whole thing's brought together in like a chain system. So you have like um, you define a chain in the same way that you define um, an event in reframe. And each each link in the chain is a function mm -hmm. that returns a uh, it's a pure function that returns a map of effects. Okay. Um, and it can also pass data from one link to the next mm. link. It can stage effects uh, to be run ultimately once a link commits. Um, and it, that's a really neat system that we built. Um, but for the most part, that's just a standard um, closure setup on the on the back end. The front end, we're using Closure Script with uh, Reframe. Um, and is there anything else, uh, I, I would call out to, uh, expound as well, cause that's obviously a great, a great bit of, uh, of uh, work. But then the other thing is, uh, for the whole thing, uh, we have everything wrapped in orchestra. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was, so we started writing closure and this was like, Okay, let's play was my first closure, like full time, getting paid to do this sort of thing, and I started writing this back end um, and and this front end, and we get to the point where we have like a couple thousand lines of code, which does a lot in closure, like it, just just a couple thousand lines mm -hmm. of code in C plus plus. That's like one feature, mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden I'm like, what's the shape of this? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Like I get into some function. And I'm like, wait, what, what keys are in this now? Yeah. Um, and, and we had bad habits of, of like not fully qualifying all of our keywords. Yeah. Um, and we had bad habits of, of like not always conforming shapes to be consistent. It's like, uh, sometimes this is like a partial sort of this thing. And then sometimes it's a full yeah. thing. Um, mm. and I was like, this is no good. And so spec came out and, and I was like, okay, this is good. Uh, and so I started looking into spec <laughs> and I was looking into spec and, and we started using spec everywhere. And I, I was, I've read through that, that spec guide, uh, so many times. Uh, and, and I got, every time I got to the, the spec gen, like the generative stuff, I was like, this is useless. <laughs> I have no need for this. Um, I think I've used it a few times and every single time I'd be just fine without it. Um, and then there was this other thing, this instrumentation side mm. of things. And I was like, oh shit, 
we can like hook these functions to automatically check the specs. Why, why are we doing this? Why isn't everyone doing this? And then, and then I used it and then I was like, wait, it's only checking the return values. Mm. I was like, but I have all these arguments. I want to check those. And then I, I, I did some further looking into it and I was like, they used to do that. Yeah. Uh, when the instrumentation was first added, they were, they were instrumenting uh, the functions to check the arguments, to check the, uh, the, um, FN spec yeah. and the return value. Uh, but they removed it, I believe, the performance, for performance yeah, yeah, reasons, yeah. which is bullshit. Man. Yeah, but like I've been doing this for for three years <laughs> now um, on the front end and the back end, and the performance change I have measured is negative. Mm. But compared to because you're you're used to C plus plus level of quote unquote speed, yeah. right? And and um, so yeah. do you how how do you compare that with uh, closure code and then? Did you ever feel like, oh, I should have written it in C++ because it could have been faster? Sure. No. Okay. <laughs> no, I've, 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 I honestly, I've never, I've never felt that. Yeah. Uh, I. Because that's one of the claims that, uh, you know, C++ people make or probably Rust people make right. as well. Like it's going to be super fast right. and way faster than the JVM or garbage collected languages, for example. Sure. Yeah. It will be. I think, it I absolutely think on the will front be. end, I think on the uh, if you're writing a game or a yeah. game engine, I think it's hard yeah. to argue the case mm. there. But right, um, back end so, services seems a bit yeah. Then they they just be more. comparable. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. We for okay. So for our front end with Closure Script, yeah. I've looked into what it would be using Rust with um, WebAssembly. Yeah. I've looked into what it would be using uh, Pure Script, yeah. um, and uh, I've looked into sort of as many of the functional um, or 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 type safe yeah. options that that I, I found, and everything that we're doing on the front end is just data. Like with React, mm -hmm. our views are just big vectors yeah. of data, um, and everything that we're doing, like with Reframe especially, uh, allows us to just build everything in terms of data. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing. There's no language that I've used that that transforms data the way that. Yeah. And so there are no, right now anyway, that I know of, there are no languages that I think I would choose on the front end instead. On the back end, um, we have one service that's written in Haskell. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and that's... Did you hide the Haskell guy it's back? Dealing, <laughs> no. You found uh, it's, it's dealing with our money. Okay. And it's, it's basically our money service. And there's a really great uh, Haskell library um, that, that handles money exactly the way that we want it to. Mm. And we didn't, we were really, we were really concerned about fucking something up when it came to the, right. the money, um, with different currency types. Uh, and basically that just seemed like it was going to be worth yeah, it. Yeah. Um, now we, we have several different services. We don't use microservices, but we do have different services, uh, that are all just sort of dockerized. Mm. So it's, it's, it's easy enough to just spin up something in a different different language and put it onto ECS and, yeah. um, and, and they no, all no talk with each other with HTTP or, um, okay. okay. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and so that was, that was no, obviously like they need to use Jason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like most of them, most of them use Eden, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, to, to actually use Jason. But, uh, with that said, I have been writing a couple of servers recently, mm -hmm. um, in Rust. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's because, uh, uh, they're game servers. Yeah. And I need them to be as small as possible and as fast as possible. And yeah. so like right now, one of the servers I've written is, um, 
is for for a game that we're making uh it's it runs like with a stress test on mm-hmm. um and like hundreds of megabytes of json io mm-hmm. uh it runs on um a tenth of a cpu uh under 16 megabytes oh, wow. of memory mm-hmm. uh, in a docker <laughs> container and and so under 16 megabytes of memory during a stress test yeah. in contrast to our min heap size for our closure services is 256 yeah. megs. I mean, that's because of the JVM um, and, and yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and so uh, that's huge. So all this closure you're writing, do you write it in Emacs or some other shit? <laughs> so I'm glad that we got here. I'm glad that we got here. Uh, it's inevitable. I I use I use Vim. Okay. Uh, and I have okay. and I have used Vim for. You're not pleasing anyone here, Jay. That's okay, guys, because I'm the guest, right? And just like the the customer yes, is true. always right, okay. the guest yeah. is always right. Uh, so I use Vim and you have never heard this podcast before. No, actually, so I have, I've heard several, so that's episode, and I knew this was coming. So that's episode number fifty-seven. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Take him to the green room now. So, so let's get exactly. the music going again. I, no, 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 no. Hear me out. I've tried Emacs a few I'm times. Joking. Right? We're no, joking. I'm joking. Come on, Jay. And I've tried Space Max too. Yeah. Um, but the, there are some very big differences to my workflow. Yeah. So first off. I love the modal editing so much mm-hmm. and it's so ingrained in everything I do. So like, and also like the, just the HJKL like movement is so ingrained in what I do that my window manager does that. Like I use I3, uh, tiling window yeah. manager on Linux. Um, my, I have Vim plugin for Firefox and my, my music, uh, player does it. My fucking <laughs> PDF player does it. Like everything I have is Vim oriented. In your car, obviously. Um, and yeah, and, well, I'm in San Francisco, so fortunately, I don't need to have a car. But it would be, yeah, it'll be it would, it, like, I I would exit the car by hitting colon WQ, um, and and so the so I know that that can carry over to Emacs, and and I've tried that. Uh, but the the biggest difference is that for me, a text editor is like the analogy that I imagine is if I'm a field worker, like I'm on the move a lot. I'm going to different places. Yeah. Emacs is a desktop computer and Vim is a, um, is a laptop computer with like radars and shit coming out of it. Right. Um, and I can, or not radars, but like antennas, yeah, that's yeah. what I want to say. Um, you're like the James Bond of editors basically. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Like I want something that I can spin up on the go anywhere that is customized for me. Um, and Emacs is like, a van that you would have to bring with you. Um, and, and you can't like, you can have a lot going on in that van. That van can do everything for you, but unless that van can go where you want to go, that's uh, not going to work. And so the biggest thing for me is like, yeah, I honestly don't think you should get into vans with strange people like VJ, you know, I mean, this is true, the, especially the, the, if they're, if they're running Emacs. No, I mean, let me, let me, uh, <laughs> this is a teachable moment as I say. <laughs> <laughs> Our evangelizing moment. <laughs> I think Emacs is like the like the you know time portal sort of shit. So usually, uh, I I agree with you. When when you want to get onto any any machine, you know VI is there and it makes sense. But usually, I just mm. uh, edit the files using Tramp on Emacs by going to the server. So I think it's it, it it's it's yeah. it's more about you know the kind of workflow that you're used to. And then, and then right. you perfect it, or not perfect, but you get used to it over the years. 
and and sure. it's for me. It's, uh, it, I mean, I tried. Uh, I was trying because we had um, uh, Calva uh, Peter on the on the show, and then I was giving it a try, like VS Code. And then the first thing that I did is there is a space max simulation for VS Code, because all the shortcuts are yeah. built into your fingers. You know, it, it, it makes sense. Yeah. And that so I think it's it's the the the, the workflow that that you have, and and right. you can take it everywhere. The biggest thing I think is that if someone is if someone is writing code as much as as I do or we yeah. do, uh, they need to have an advanced yeah. app. And if exactly. they don't, yeah. if they're if they're still using their mouse to move around or something like that, then they're it's just not efficient. Yeah. And that's like you need to fully invest yourself, in my opinion. In, in some sort of editing tooling yes. because it is the means yeah. of your of your whole fucking career yeah. do a good job with yeah. it um, i think my and and so what like vim emacs sure yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever this closed source but <laughs> i've never actually noticed this before but your name is vij yeah i know yeah yeah, so you, you're you're kind of like in there. betraying your own name, really. No, DJ. that means I know oh. this. And I'm going to start calling <laughs> you. I'm going to start calling you Vij from now on. You, yeah, you, just, you should just to really, to, just to really shut you off. You should. It's too bad you couldn't bring the uh, improved version. <laughs> We had Vim J. Exactly. I should go like Vim J. Maybe that's me. Actually, I should just update my name. Yeah, just just you uh, should you should yeah you should add that should confuse people on the internet. I think you should be Vim J and I should be Vj and then. Yeah, but very nice. But I think the the first editor I used uh, back in the university. I mean, we we had this um, how do you call it, like dumb terminals connected to the Unix somewhere. Like you only have the dumb terminal thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that had the old VI yeah. and and it was fucking horrible. So yeah, <laughs> that that's even worse actually. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, right, I don't know. I mean, I, to be honest, uh, but I I used VI when and I, when I I used it for the beginning of my career as well and kept going with it for you know, probably twenty years. So yeah. I mean. No, it, it does think its, its thing. It's okay. But I think the problem I had, you know, you were talking about like Windows. The problem before Linux became popular, Windows became popular. And I kind of, you know, I, we had to use Windows on the front end and we always used VI on the back end. But, um, but you kind of lost the muscle memory a little bit, you know, um, which was a shame because I loved VI. You know, I really, you know, I read the manual a hundred times, you know. <laughs> Knew all of the interop with the operating system and stuff like that, so I did yeah. all my own kind of uh, bindings and macros and all the settings. Yeah, and sort of shit. But and the nice thing is, like you say, it's always on every machine. You know, whenever you log into something, it's there. Yeah. So you know. And do you use a fire, fireplace or something, or with the VI foreclosure stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. So I have never had a good experience with fireplace, mm. um, and I mean, uh, it was Tim Pope who made. Yeah, it. yeah. I mean, he makes amazing things. Um, but that just never never worked well for me. It wasn't until um, Olico, uh, whose name is uh, Ollie Oliver, I think, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. he made um, uh, Conjure, mm -hmm. uh, and then yeah. and then subsequently Propel to use PREPL. Mm -hmm. um, that's been the best the best experience I've had uh, with with Vim and, and integrating into a, a REPL. It's it works really well. And um, I, I have no complaints for it on our back end. Mm. Uh, I haven't had it working well with Figwheel on our front yeah. end, uh, but we have hot reload. And for the most part, I just use yeah. like that for, for everything on the front end anyway. Um, I, 
that's that's kind of the thing. So like I have somewhat of an adversarial relationship with closure. Um, <laughs> and like I disagree with a lot of the ways that people do things with closure. And um, the, the REPL was one of them. Yeah. Like it took me, it took me a really long time to to come around to the REPL. And I still don't think I evangelize it nearly as much as um, a lot of these other people do because I don't think it's as useful as uh, a lot of these other people say. Mm -hmm. um, I, on the back end, when we do have, uh, like when I do have Conjure, it has been helpful to like just hook into some functions and say, okay, I just want to evaluate this and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make like a comment block and do some code in there. Mm -hmm. um, but I have tests. I could write a test to do that as well. For the most part, like I'm, I use a line like uh, auto test, test, auto test, yeah, yeah, auto refresh. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so like I just save my, uh, yeah. I, I save my file and it and it reruns my tests and I can add some metadata to say refresh only this test mm. and it'll just rerun that one. Yeah. And I mean, I can use that sort of like I guess it's I guess it's TDD, but not really because. It's kind of you're not writing all your tests first and then uh, and then catching up. You're just kind of doing them together. Um, but like that is like the 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 process that I use, um, and I don't think you really need much of a repo for that. Mm. But that's a that's a yeah, like blasphemy. It is total blasphemy. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But, I mean, no, so I mean, well, we can. But since you mentioned you, you know, you want to fight, so let's do it. You know, come on, because sure. <laughs> it's good to have a bit of adversarial stuff. We, you know, we I like this on this podcast, and we need to fight. So you know, I love the yeah. REPL. I mean, I think we need the REPL everywhere, and it's underplayed. Um, and I use the REPL all the time, day in day out. And um, let me get my popcorn. The thing, the thing I wouldn't do, the thing I don't like is all this REPL reloaded shit. Because you know, I don't like all these frameworks that make the REPL. You know, presume to make the REPL useful because it's already useful. You mm -hmm. know, you don't need all this like yeah. reloaded stuff going on. Just re if you if you really need to restart the REPL, restart the REPL. You know, no problem. Right. Um, but for the most part, I think it's you know it's it's fantastic. You know, maybe it's because I don't I don't really invest. I, I write the tests right towards the end. You know, I don't write the mm -hmm. tests as I go along. Um, I I don't like to do that because that kind of inhibits the fluidity of the programming because um, sure. I feel like tests are a kind of commitment to a particular shape or a particular approach you know this is true I think that uh, it depends what you're working so like in for example in our back end the way that we write tests like we have a lot of macros to just sort of spin up like all the things that we want the way that we write tests is um, is really all just it's at this point it's so defined that um, it's, it's easy to just jump in and add another one. Um, and my concern with the, the REPL in contrast with that is that everything I do on the REPL is, is ephemeral. Like, so unless I'm just doing a one-off, like, uh, I need to issue something to, to Mongo or Postgres, or I need to do a query or something, uh, unless I'm doing a one-off thing, um, where I just want the result of that one thing. Um, I don't actually use it to like verify, okay, this is working as I expect it to, uh, or, or something like that, uh, for the most part. But why not though? Cause that, that's the point. Yeah. Well, that's the point of tests too. How are you programming anything? That's, How are you actually programming that's, that's anything? That's the point Jay? of tests too. You know? <laughs> yeah. To, to but, prove yeah. that they work and to prove the that code. they continue to work. 
So I think that it's kind of serving, like, in my opinion, it's a duplicate effort. And either, either you're duplicating your efforts or one of those is suffering um, your tests or your, or your REPL experience. But why, but are you assuming that the REPL is, you're typing into the REPL rather than shipping code from your editor? Because mm -hmm. you write your program, mm -hmm. as you're writing your program, you, you evaluate it in the REPL. That's how you do it. Right, right, right. No tests required. That doesn't quite work. Uh, if, if, if you need a connection to, if you need a connection to a database, if you need a connection to this or that, then what you're going to end up doing is not just saying, oh, I want to evaluate this. You're going to write a little comment block that sets up everything that you need, a little fixture for you. And then you're going to write your, your code inside of there. And what you have there is a test. Well, I guess. But if you just reload your namespace, you'll, get the rec you'll reconnect to a database. It's no problem. Are you connecting to your database as an effect uh, at the top level of your namespace? Sometimes. Oh well, not very often. That's, I, yeah, it's like we don't we don't do that. It's always. Um, but normally, you should pass your database in as a as a parameter to your uh, to your function. Right, right, right. Which would mean you need to set that up in, in order to evaluate your function to begin with. Which would mean you need some sort of fixture. Uh, so uh, if we if we focus on that, I think we're always going to go in circles because I do disagree with you. However, to find more common ground. I will say that I would agree with you more if I'm working on something that does not have um, some sort of databases or external connections or something like that. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't often use a database, so yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, basically everything that we do on the back end is, is doing something with, with some sort of Redis or Mongo or Postgres um, or some API or something like that. Um, but I... I would say that there have been the best experiences I have, the best experiences I have had uh, with with Vim Conjure have been writing like just purely data oriented code with no effects, no setup necessary. And I can, as you said, just write some code, send it to uh, send it to the REPL, see that it all works, and say, great. Uh, yeah. And then and then worry about the test there. So I can agree with you there, um, but I don't think it's as for me it's it's not as profound as um, as I, it as it seems to be to you or to a lot of other people. So what is your? I mean, how do you architect your database then? What's a, it's an interesting? It's an interesting because I think sometimes these um, you know these kind of like uh, REPL things or. Like whether you're using it effectively or not is a kind of it's a kind of like whether or not your your architecture is kind of REPL oriented, let's say, you know, whether it's like oriented towards that style of development or not. Whereas maybe you have um you have different ambitions for your for your architecture or different goals or different ways of setting things up. So, you know, I'm happy to find common ground as well, you know. So if you're if you're not if you're not uh if that's not a priority for you, then it doesn't matter, you know. Do, do sure. what works, you know? Sure. Yeah, I just don't see how, I don't see how the REPL has anything to do with, uh, with like how I design the database. Like I'm not gonna, I wouldn't design. No, but your constant need to connect to it and take state from it, you know, that's the problem. That's really what you're talking to, isn't it? What you're right. saying is, right, right. I have this sort of, a set of shared global states somewhere yeah. That I'm constantly connecting to and yeah. sucking from, 
yeah, yeah. feeding to. And that's that's kind of like a peculiar architecture for me, you know, that you essentially have externalized all of your global state where you've got a language that has a lot of uh, controls for that. So why are you doing that? Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm going to think more about this. That's, that's it. Obviously, the state needs to be somewhere. Uh, sure, and sure. like this is, we are talking about mutable state. And so it needs to be somewhere, probably in one place. Um, but like, so we use our database as a, um, and our transactions as bindings. We don't use them as something that we pass into every function. Um, just right. because there's no, I, I don't see a point in that. Um, but it's still something that needs to be set up. Um, I don't, I don't have a, I feel like, I feel like I can have a, a good answer to this, uh, but I don't right now. You know, that one of the, one of the things about, um, uh, one of the things about reframe that they try and talk about is like this, um, side effects, but also the other thing they talk about is co effects sure. and that's, that's what you, that's what you kind of avoid when you, if you, if you. If you pass database, if you pass your database in to every function rather than these bindings, mm -hmm. then you 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 actually have that that you you get rid of the co-effects. Um, in other words, you you make you don't have to make a lot of assumptions about the world outside of your outside of your functions. Then you can mm -hmm. test things more cleanly than having to worry about this big ball that you're pulling from the mysterious place and and dealing with kind of randomly. I think that's you know that. That's that's the the conclusion I come to from a kind of um, architectural perspective. But isn't that um, isn't, isn't that making your code more and more tedious? Like you, for every function you're passing, I mean, it makes sense because it's it's more like a making the functions uh, completely pure in a way that your function is only operating on the parameters and not dependent on anything else. But every function then that that is operating on this then. It kind of becomes a bit too well, much. Well, no, because right? well, well, because what happens is that you end up like you know this like functional shell kind of approach, you know. Yeah, yeah. Where where you you definitely pass the databases into some some functions. Yeah. But mm -hmm. but that doesn't get passed all the way down. You know, that's the whole yeah. point. Is that you just what you then do is you you pluck some state from that database and then you yeah, start then processing pass it to the next it. layer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't pass the database all the way down. And that that's that's where I feel like we're kind of at odds with. Yeah, I think I, I've 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 gone through like two rounds of this in one of the applications that I'm working on. Like first having this this model, like okay, I'm gonna pass DB everywhere, and then because there is this query layer, and then there is business logic layer that doesn't know the database but only operates on the on the maps. And then at some point I'm like, oh screw this, you know this this is I have to pass this DB everywhere. Sure. And then that that became tedious. And then at some point I moved it to I mean similar to the one that uh, the previously OM and other people like at the top level there is def once and then I have something as a global state that, that I can pass around uh, like the app state so, sort of thing um, I think I, there, there, there should be a, some sort of a balance between them right and sometimes it just goes like too much and there are too many functions with db everywhere well that's and what then, reframe yeah. looks like if you if you write yeah, reframe yeah. and you do that Jay, so you know what it looks mm -hmm. like then you know yeah <laughs> Well, I, I have some, I have a really big gripe with reframe, actually. Um, yes. uh, just got damn database uh, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, so the, yeah. 
the thing about the thing about our databases uh, and then the way that we interact with it is because we use this reframe style approach um all we have is a, a qualified keyword that represents an effect somewhere you're returning a map saying i want to go run this effect um just like in reframe you have some effect that you need to run you return a map that says you need to run it um you don't know how it's set up or 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 anything like that um or what it's connected to necessarily. You just need need to know there is an effect that is represented by this pure data, uh, this declarative way of saying what I'm gonna do. And then all the nitty gritty shit happens behind the scenes. Um, I think that I think that this is a, a very good way of when you look at one of the things that as functional programmers we try to do is separate the effects, uh, put push them as far away as you can and just focus on the pure data transformations yeah, yeah. and your yeah. business logic. Um, I think that given that we've done that first class, um, exactly how we handle the nitty gritty of of that of that database when it's pushed all the way to the side um, doesn't matter. It's not a big concern mm -hmm. uh, to me. Uh, but the the thing about ref, uh, reframe actually, the big issue that I have is that every um, or one of the big issues anyway. <laughs> everything is everything is so, forward. So this is this is going to be a series. So yeah. podcast C plus plus. Now you need to come. You, know, you need to end it by telling us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Rust. Yeah. C plus plus is shit. Closure is shit. Uh, <laughs> everything sucks except for Rick Chicken's hair. Uh, we just need to come That's to terms with this. But, but no, true. no, this is serious though. The thing yeah. about reframe is yeah. like every, every event goes forward. So you need to know when you dispatch mm -hmm. an event, you need to, like you're coupled yeah, with that yeah. event. Yeah. Um, you, and, and so it's, it is no different from a function call. Um, it, except it's just using a different syntax, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so as a result, uh, what you end up with is and it's asynchronous. That's the problem. Um, yeah. I disagree with you there because I think there's still a better way to do it. Um, you you end up it can be asynchronous and still be better. I think. Um, oh yeah, but but it, but anytime you put an event on the reframe queue, it's an asynchronous function call. Is my point. This is true. Yeah, and I, you're you're right there. Uh, the for me, the better way to do it is to reverse the coupling. Um, so when uh, let's say my app is focused, right? When my app is focused, I want to um, I want to see if, if a chat window is open and if the chat window is open, then I want to mark the latest messages, uh, as red. Um, this is an actual problem that we had where sure. given the reframe design, I have some, I have some handler for the app has been focused and then that needs to dispatch some shit like, uh, okay, chat, go, go mark your stuff as red. If you're visible, that is awful to me, having to know about chat in the handler uh, that that deals with things being focused, or even if you try to separate it, like one layer or or add some indirection there, still that that handler there that that is um, that's handling the focus needs to be dispatching to something that knows about chat. That's a problem. Uh, now, if you invert it, um, then what you end up with is a rather than one to one events, you end up with one to many events. So what you get is there's a handler that says uh, the app was just focused. Now, rather than dispatching an event, 
what I use is the different terminology of it emits, um, it emits an event. Now it emits something, which is just a signal. Um, now anyone, anywhere can subscribe to that. So the chat system would say, I'm interested in when the app has been focused um, because I want to update uh, the red status for these messages. To me, that is a much better architecture, but is not is entirely uh, prohibited by the design of Reframe because you don't have these one-to-many events. Now you can you can implement that um, in Reframe uh, yourself, um, but it's not. Well, well, just one second. You can have multiple subscribers to an event in Reframe. That's out of the box, so it's no problem there. The hmm. I'm gonna think about how I want to wear this. Uh, <laughs> You're really full of shit, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 You're allowed no. to say it, you know. No, 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 no. no. I, I, I mean, think, I'm factually correct. I don't but, think you know, no, 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 I could no. still be wrong. <laughs> so the thing is that when you think about these things, you have to change the way that you're thinking about your about your reframe events. Then, because if you think of them as asynchronous function calls, then that's absolutely not the way that this can work. Mm -hmm. No, but my point is that. Let's say you know you 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 do this focus effect you know like on some component it's focused you can you can emit an event like you say that says okay something got focused and this is its name you know and then you can have a subscriber and that subscriber can filter based on those events and you can have a hundred subscribers right. and what are you do? Are do you doing that things, with interceptors? You know? Just subscribers, just standard reframe subscriptions, yeah. Subscriptions are different. Subscriptions are the bridge between the event layer, the model layer, and the view layer. Um, so I, sure, I'm going to yeah, say, yeah. I'm going to say that I don't understand what you're saying, and I don't think that um, there's just a way to arbitrarily subscribe to something. When you dispatch something, you are dispatching the name of an event to, to uh, the name of a function to go call, and you can have interceptors to intercept those, um, but that's not a one to many. That's a, I'm going to like be a man in the middle uh, for this one very coupled uh, event. And subscriptions are just a way of providing data from the app DB to the view, which is, as far as I'm concerned, entirely separate from that. So I don't understand uh, how you're saying that can work. Um, so, so in and a sense, you're saying you're full of Well, or, or I'm just, yeah, maybe I'm, just but, uh... I'm behind. I don't know. But either way, no, no, uh, no, no. Well, it's the way I've used it in the past is that you know you do these subscriptions, but you know maybe I'm doing it wrong. I could be, I could be, I could be holding it wrong. That's for sure. So you're you're using this for uh, so this is for a chat application that that uh, you built for the gaming stuff that you have. That's the front end mostly. We use Reframe for the entire front end. Okay. Um, and and so that's uh, we're we're on mobile and desktop and yeah. web. Uh, and it's all just Closure Script and React, and uh, oh. yeah, we use Reframe for the whole thing. But mobile as in mobile app, or or just a mobile web uh, thing? It is a mobile app that uh, it's a, it's called a hybrid app. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a native app that loads up a web view basically, and then uses Cordova to talk between the two. Oh, okay, right. Okay. okay. So it's a it's not React native, but Cordova. No, uh, it's not React native. Um, and the main reason is, although React native does like is similar to yeah. React. They are too dissimilar to, I think, comfortably share code bases yeah. uh, with something that is React. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. And there is React Native for web, but um, 
it, it, that, that all of that can be avoided if you just use a hybrid app. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and so how much of uh, code sharing that you have between Clojure Script and Clojure is there common libraries in CLJC somewhere that you use in both places? Sure. Yeah. So I mean, uh, like our whole front end is Clojure Script, and then our whole back end is Clojure, except for that one Haskell service. Yeah. Uh, we do have uh, a common a common code base, which mm -hmm. is primarily just filled with specs. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, because sense. as one of the things I mentioned was we just spec everything. Mm. Um, and that's because we, uh, for both the front end and the back end, we're using orchestra, uh, for everything. Yeah. And, um, there isn't that much, like there are some helpers that are shared, but there isn't that much that's shared. But the yeah. thing about orchestra, I want to come back to that. Mm. Um, maybe you can give us a kind of like, for the people that don't know what orchestra is. Jay, maybe you could yeah. give people a kind of five-minute introduction to it because I think it's pretty special, you know. So I think you've done a great job there. So it would be good to give people like a level up on just a five minutes on what the background there is. Thanks, Ray. Um, so yeah, Orchestra is a uh, Orchestra is a uh, closure library that um, uses spec uh, and instruments your functions by basically hooking your functions. So that whenever you call them, um, automatically uh, all of your inputs and outputs uh, have their specs validated, mm. and that means that assuming that you have specked out uh, not even all of your system, but a good portion of your system, um, you will know because you'll get a spec uh, assertion failure uh, whenever you make a function call and some data is not in the shape that you expect it to be. You'll know right then, uh, rather than later when you get a nil somewhere and you're wondering what the hell happened. Mm -hmm. um, now, Orchestra works uh, with Clojure and Clojure Script, and um, there have been some like concerns raised that the performance of this instrumentation is uh, is worthy of not running it in, um, in like your everyday development uh, oh. or, or in production. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've had people say, you can't even do this in everyday development. It's oh. it's absolute bullshit. You can. Okay. Um, in in the measuring I've done, it was like, I think three or four percent of our startup time for our app mm. uh, during development is uh, is instrumentation. Yeah. And to know that every single event that we're dispatching, in the case of Reframe, because we spec like we spec all of our events, to know that every single one of those has the exact shape that it's supposed to be is absolutely worth. Mm. Four percent of our load time to me, hmm. um, and uh, so Orchestra also provides a macro for uh, to wrap deafens um, in a like C style like way where you get to say the name of an argument and then follow it with the spec for that argument hmm. uh, in line, yeah. um, and and also specify the return spec. It's called deafen spec. Uh, so we use that, and then we use. Uh, macros around like reframe events as well to use the same syntax for our reframe events. Yeah. Um, but I recommend that anyone who's doing closure, uh, who's already using spec, uh, who wants to have more confidence in their system, give orchestra a shot because, uh, it's just, you hook it in, you call it instrument, mm -hmm. any functions that you already have instrumented are just gonna be automatically checked. If something's bad based on the specs, the, the, uh, the invariance that you're, Asserting based on defining your specs, if anything's bad, you're going to know, mm. and you wouldn't otherwise know unless you manually um, assert all of that stuff, which is just not feasible. Yeah, 
And so maybe a completely different uh, question. So how long did it take for you guys to bootstrap your, because I'm assuming this is, okay, let's play a completely new startup, right? Like there is zero code and then now there is all these services now. Um, yeah. So how long did it take and, and how many people are working on it uh, in Closure code base right now? Sure. So we've been working full time um, on OK, Let's Play for about two years. Okay. Um, That's pretty young. And yeah, it's pretty young. I, I was doing some part time work before that, mm. uh, but full time for about two years. Right now we have um, five or six people in the company total. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have two software engineers who work with me, uh, mm. one focused on the front end, one focused on the back end. And then I just sort of, uh, go wherever I need to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. and yeah, it's, oh, actually I'll, 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 I'll talk a bit about that. I thought that, um, I was surprised, uh, because I thought that hiring closure developers would be like, I knew it was going to be harder cause there just aren't that many closure developers, yeah, yeah. but I thought that by the nature of them being closure developers, that they would just be great. Mm. Um, but we've actually had a really tough time hiring really good uh, devs. Um, <laughs> we've had like a really low success rate in in our closure devs, mm. and that was a that was a huge surprise to me because I think that most people like you have to be a certain type of person to make it to closure, yeah, yeah, even yeah. Um, to to have enough interest to learn the language and then to stick with it and then try yeah. to try to f- like find a job with it. Um, so that that was a really big surprise for me. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know why that is. But is it um, uh, the people that you I mean, people that you didn't hire, and the people that you hired? I mean, were they uh, already closure programmers, or were they something like, okay, you're okay with having C plus plus people, and you can get rid of C plus plus from their brain by brainwashing them into closure? It was all. They were all already closure devs, and I think okay. of the like um, of the handful of closure devs that we that we brought on, we we kept like of people who already knew. Yeah. closure um we kept one of them yeah um because um i mean he saw he's a really really really, really great dev mm-hmm. um uh, but the the other one that we have right now um was a was a c plus plus dev like another game dev c plus plus yeah and uh c sharp and i just knew like he's a really solid dev mm-hmm. closure is not going to be a problem yeah um yeah. and so then i just had to sell him on um yeah, being okay with his mind being blown <laughs> uh, for the first month, but it was it was actually it was really fun to see him struggle through that. Yeah, uh, and like he has a map and he like wants to update some stuff, you know, or he has like a list of maps and he wants to turn it into one map. He wants to reduce it into one map. Yeah, yeah. Like just seeing him be like, <laughs> what I know what mean? I need to do, <laughs> but I don't know how to do it, and I'm. You know, and we would we do a lot of calls, and I'd just be like, "Oh, this is so yeah. cool." Yeah. Uh, but I mean, when I did that, as I said, like I I didn't have anyone to to help me through it. it so just, what you know, what what do you, what did you what did you put it down to though, Jay? Is it because people like um, are a bit maybe it's a thing in uh, are you are you hiring in San Francisco? Or are you doing remote hiring? Uh, we uh, we are fully remote. Yeah, so. Um, we actually two of us are in San Francisco, uh, but one of us is in um, right is in Brazil. Okay, and and so just to uh, loop back to the the question that I was uh, asking, so so from C plus plus to closure, you know there is a there is significant, you know, a paradigm shift. 
And yeah. for me, I feel like uh, because I, I did a lot of Scala before, so um, I got used to Clojure. And then when I'm doing Rust, I feel like, what the fuck? I mean, uh, if I if I call something, I get a different type, and there is no you know common data structures to deal with. I mean, because you also have experience with both Rust and and Clojure, right? So right. how do you see the transition to Rust then? I mean, if you if you're right, sure. working on Rust code, sure. Well, the, yeah. <laughs> I was just talking to to someone on IRC uh, yesterday, actually, because mm. uh, I was um, I was in the Rust Freenode channel, and uh, and I said something. He's like, "Oh, aren't you the guy who made that the Q three thing?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm popular. <laughs> uh, like one guy recognizes me on Freenode." But I was just we I was telling him like, yeah. um, but uh, I was like, you know, I I am, and I. He's like, "Oh, I thought you went back to C I was like, "I did." And I was telling him like, yeah, back five or six years ago when I was writing Rust for, for Q3, mm. I was really bad at Rust because mm. I had what I saw, I had a C++ brain. Yeah. Um, and everything that I was thinking of was, was just in terms of C++. Mm. And now that I'm writing Rust, I feel like I'm really bad at Rust still <laughs> because I have a closure brain. Um, and the thing is that now, like, now that I've done closure so much, um, at least my closure, you know, like the, the closure, the way that I want to do it is adversarial <laughs> closure. Um, I think of things, in, <laughs> I think of things in terms of, of data, right. Yep. And, and everything is, everything is as much as possible anyway. Um, it's just, is declarative data pipelines. Yep. And a lot of the, like when we're discussing features, uh, at okay, let's play with, with the other devs. Um, We'll just share gists of maps, mm. and like that's that's the feature that we're talking about. So like, okay, the data will look like this, yeah. and then like the transformations you need to do, those are kind yeah, of implied yeah, just yeah, by knowing exactly. how the feature is going to work. Yeah, um, and so doing that with Rust is really fucking difficult. Yeah, it's, like you you can't. <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> because how do you have a heterogeneous map? Yeah, in yeah. in general, you don't. Um, yeah. And and the other thing is like. What I found in this game server that I that I was uh, that I'm still working on now is I started using a lot of uh, Rust enums um, mm, yeah. for for sort of like um, it can be this or it can be this or it can be yeah, this yeah. and it can have these different shapes. Yeah. But each time you match on one of them, it needs to be exhausted. Exactly, and then <laughs> which is which is exhausting. Yes. So it's it's it is really nice to. To be able to write that and and struggle with the borrow checker until it compiles, yeah. and then be like yes, and then it runs and it works, yeah. uh, and and you don't need to worry about it. Um, but and and I would consider using Rust for some of our services on the back end, um, mm. just due to the performance, due to like the the memory profile, uh, everything like that. But mm. for anything that we're doing with data. Yeah. I just wouldn't do it. And it's yeah. the, honestly, it's the same thing with Haskell. I just wouldn't do it. For those languages that focus on the types, um, to me, it's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. And we have some services that are just focused on moving data uh, like through WebSockets from Mongo to our front end, for example, yeah. which is basically like our own kind of Firebase, except it has a better permission system and it scales horizontally. Mm -hmm. um, that's just data. It's just moving data. and. We need to handle different shapes of data. We need to be able to do it in a very um, 
uh, fluid and flexible and uh, what's the word that I want? Agile yeah. way. Yeah. And to do that in, in such a strongly staticky type language, I just don't think makes sense. Mm. I just, yeah, I just I don't think, think it's, a, it, it's a good choice. Yeah, I think time-wise and also investment-wise, I mean, there is too much design work that you need to do to make it as flexible as that. What you can do in with, with closure, right? And, and I think that's the that's the challenge that that I see now. I mean, uh, I mean, I had the similar kind of thing on 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 Scala versus Closure when I was doing both uh, when yep. I was working on that one, but at least they both are on JVM, so you know I don't have to deal with this uh, borrow checking and memory and shit. But now I'm kind of juggling between closure and rust and they're like okay these are like completely different way of thinking and yeah it's a bit but of is, a isn't it the way i think about it for these kind of like low level languages like c and rust and stuff like that and these other things is that it's all to do with the and i think jay is kind of saying it as well is it's the problem space if, if the problem yeah. space is kind of well defined um mm -hmm. and you know you know that there's a certain set of types coming in going out well, do you need all the flexibility that Clojure gives you when you can actually, you know, you know the problem? It's not going to change that much. You know, for a lot yeah, of right. network services, things are like that. They're fairly simple. You know, just yeah. take a yeah. packet in, give a packet out. The shapes right. aren't going to change that much. You know, you don't need mm -hmm. the fluidity. And in that case, I think these lower level languages can, you know, like Rust, can offer a lot of value. But yeah. But there are many services where it just doesn't make sense, you know. If you if you're able to talk to other kinds of APIs and this kind of stuff, with, where things right. are where things are evolving, where things are changing quite a lot, where you need that agility yeah. that you're talking about, right? You know, right. but it, but it's yeah. very difficult to make it kind of like a very simple like line in the sand, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, it's the it's the tooling because one of the things that I mm. totally miss if I if I'm writing in Clojure, you know, you get used to REPL and then there is a function and then you just run it and then check it what mm -hmm. it is you want to do and then move yeah. on. No, if you're J, so you with, don't. With, with, no. <laughs> so, but in but in Rust you can't do that. I mean, you have to run the whole fucking yeah. program and then there is no way I can just test one. I mean, you can write tests and whatnot, but but sure. it's it's a different different mode of writing code, I think, and sure. and. Right. Once you get used to this organic way of developing code with function by function and then running it and then moving on, that yeah. that, that doesn't work there. And then there there is different priorities, different way of writing code. And right, yeah, yeah. totally. No, I, I completely agree with you uh, there, Ray. I think that if you do have a finite uh, amount of uh, like really really well known. Uh, data shapes. Yeah. yeah, if your domain is is finite and, and well yeah. known, then something like uh, Haskell with Servant, yeah. um, where where you can just define the whole thing with types. Yes. Or um, I'm using Rust with Actix, yeah. um, which uh, which basically does the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I just define an endpoint function that says um, uh, this takes in JSON mm -hmm. of some generic uh, struct type that I've defined as serializable. Yeah. Uh, and like it handles the whole like, well, if I can properly deserialize the JSON into this into this struct type, mm -hmm. then I'll call the then I'll call the function. Otherwise, I'll give you a four hundred. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that, that can be really nice. Yeah. You don't need to worry about it. And the, the thing is, you know, as soon as you get into that endpoint function, yeah. you have valid data. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas with closure, we need to we need to do a lot more of that validation ourselves. Fortunately, we have spec, but yeah. still, it's it's rough. But I think uh, I think it's 
Well, it's uh, almost 90 minutes, so I think this would mean that, uh, you know, we need to take you to the Rust podcast uh, for, for the next episode. We need an exit song soon. Okay. <laughs> oh, dear. No, we're not going to. So I, I was just thinking, I think the, the, the adversarial closure that you're going to write, I think we should name it like opener. You know, instead of closure, it's going to be opener. And yeah. That'd be like well, amazing. Shutter, let, I think. Shutter is better. I want to I I say... <laughs> I want to say a little. I want to say a little bit about this, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's called idiolus. Um, idio as an idiom, right. yeah. um, meaning like quirky. Um, okay. Because because it's my it's my list, um, and it's it's very par- like peculiar. It's very particular to my mm-hmm. tastes. But what I basically want is the other thing I really disagree with closure about is the JVM um, mm-hmm. coming from game development, like operating system development. I don't want the JVM. <laughs> I want persistent immutable data structures list. That's great. Uh, macros, those are great. Um, but c- let me compile it to native code. Mm. Um, let me compile it to native code. The other thing is, let me have it be dynamically typed to start with. Uh, let me write the the most um, closure looking code to start with and have it compile to uh, like C minus minus or, or LLVM yeah. or something like that. Um, Don't you think that like the Graal stuff will get you there eventually? Kind of. Maybe I'm hoping so, but here's the thing. What I really want to do is then once you, you define specs for your data, right? Basically like spec, except once you define specs for data, that changes the way that, that it changes what the compiler knows about. Them. And all yeah. of a sudden that's not a boxed object anymore. Now I know the type of that. Now I can mm. uh, better track that. Now I can better optimize that. And so mm. you can write your data, you can write your whole fucking program to be dynamically typed, get it working, mm-hmm. and then lock it down with specs. And by doing so, you optimize it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see why this can't exist. I don't mm-hmm. know a single language which which works this way, but it's exactly what like it's exactly how I want a language to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're right in terms of like where where it could go. I think uh, I, obviously spec itself is still somewhat in a state of flux. Well, yeah. um, it's a long gestation period. <laughs> Right. It can't be spec. It can't be spec exactly like, because it it can't be predicative. Even it has yeah, to yeah. be something that no. is statically known. But uh, anyway, yeah. Well, yeah, it's an, an interesting idea. I think you know yeah. this this concept of um, essentially being able to to think about the binding forms and then event you know essentially kind of like bind it all down. I think I think the uh, you know you, one could argue that that's kind of what the JIT does, but you know, but like you say, it does it it, it does it at runtime, it does it a bit later on. Yeah. And right. by the sound of things, you'd rather have that early information early or that performance early rather than later. But I think the, the, the downside of not going with the VM, because the, the, the history of Lisp is littered with like, you know, idio Lisps, if you like, um, you know, uh, you the could all call it like, them. you know, short for <laughs> idiot actually, but you know. <laughs> I, I had figured that the, the people who write that would be called idiots. I'm prepared for no. I'm prepared for that one. Uh, sorry, hey, I'm prepared for that one. Okay, no, we, we, no, I'm joking. No, the reason the reason I say it, uh, the reason I say it is because, um, or the, the the reason that people say that 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 closure is a, a, a success, or that that the reason why a hosted uh, language is is um, is winning is because you get access to all of the other ecosystem uh, material. Yeah, that's yeah. you know. The question is whether or not you get any value out of that, you know. And I think probably yeah. for the whole closure community, the win is probably 
outweighs the loss. But per use yeah. case, maybe it's not worth it. You know. Right. I, I think that if you look at any library that is that is cross-platform for like as in uh, cross-host, uh, so ClojureScript and uh, Closure CLR and Closure uh, JVM, um, it's basically just going to be pure Closure, and sure. mm -hmm. you can get a lot done with just that. The other thing is that if you are compiling to native code. You can interface with the with just about yeah, anything through the C yeah. API, yeah. Sure, yeah. Sure. Yeah. right? That's true. Uh, and you can do that with uh, with basically no overhead. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and Grawl has has shown so much what you can do with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that you're absolutely right. There has been uh, so there have been so many attempts. The other thing is that um, I'm not going to say that my language is is going to be special or better uh, than than anyone else's in any way. Um, I just hope that when I have enough time to finish it, that it's going to change just like my, ju no, 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 <laughs> fuck the world. Uh, just like, just like my oh, Vim environment. Welcome to Defin. <laughs> just, just like my Vim environment. It's made for me. Right. And yeah. Idealist would be made for me. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting project. I think, you know, I, I, I think yeah. it's, it, in terms of, like you say, the ability to explore ideas and, you know, and just to kind of like see where, how far a particular idea can go. I think, you, you, I mean, everyone's free to do this stuff, you know, why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and just one, one, before we kind of wrap up a little bit, I do want to say something that I've been impressed by, Jay. I mean, I like orchestra, but the thing I, I kind of uh, knew you knew you for before orchestra was actually your blogging. You know, I think you're you're doing a, a good service to the closure community there actually by the amount of blogging you do. You know, you often find little answers. You know, if I'm looking for something, I'll I'll often go to your blog and you'll give a much a good long explanation of how things work. And it's very I, I think it's you've taken some time out there and I really appreciate that, you know. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. That's uh I haven't done it in a year or so just because of uh, the startup, but I really appreciate the kind no, words. Yeah, That's yeah. fair enough. No, but the contributions you've made in the past have been really, really good. So I think Thank kudos you. to you awesome. for that. <laughs> so it's time to wrap up then. It's been uh, beyond 90 minutes. I hope uh, we had we have covered, I think, enough, just enough ground. Uh, we might probably, have to cut the song out from the beginning. It's actually in the, in the thing. I need to check. Uh, so thanks, probably. Oh man, come on! <laughs> we did two versions of it. We're gonna have at least I one so. in there. I mean, I can't. I, I agree. Mean, you you can't rely on computers, as you know. So, fucking hell. We might have to do this whole thing again. Yeah, exactly. I think we need to we need to redo the same show. It's going to be like Broadway show. You know, you just do the same play again and again and again, and then we're right. gonna song right. and sing sing this stuff. Yeah, and we're gonna grow to hate each other. Don't we already? I mean, at least we, yeah. me, and, uh, Ray and I, we do. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we adversarial do. relationship. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> uh, relationship, calling a relationship is a bit of a stretch, but yeah, I and mean, we, we are acquaintances, you know. We're okay, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> so, uh, thanks a lot, uh, Jay, for joining the joining our uh, silly little podcast, and um, you know talking about all the serious shit and uh, uh, it's it's really nice to know that you know how you progress through i mean having such difficulty and then now uh, you know making a successful career out of it and um, obviously you know becoming a CTO for yeah. a startup must be extremely uh, exhausting and also exciting I, I would guess and uh, you know getting to do that in closure and uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I'll excuse you for VI, but anyway, I mean, rest of the stuff seems to be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's you're you're right on all those points. Wow. So thanks for having me on. <laughs> you're really editorializing <laughs> at the end here, Matt. You know, <laughs> your life seems to have been worth it, except today. for the VI <laughs> part. But we'll leave that out of except the eulogy. For VI, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Good riddance. I think he would have been great yeah, if it wasn't for VR. Nine out of ten. After after ninety years or so, yeah. that is what somebody something that's we're gonna write down on your uh, what do you call that uh, the thingy that uh, stone or whatever tombstone tombstone yeah. gravestone. Yeah. He was a VR yeah. user. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, right. thanks, man. I think thanks for all the all the all, you know, information and um, hopefully I think you'll. Uh, continue with adversarial closure and maybe come back again to talk about this stuff again <laughs> oh, that would be great thanks so much guys for having me thank you that's uh, no, it's been an absolute pleasure cheers Jay that's it from us uh, bye bye